0: Good morning, Emmanuel family. Good morning. It's so good to see everyone today. Good morning. So good to see you. Tracy's in the house. Amen. It's so good to see so many of you all. I've missed you guys. Uh, it's, you know, we hate being apart from one another, but I'm glad we can be in this place today. Um, I want to thank, as always, as is my um, as is my tradition, I want to first thank Pastor Daniel. He's not here today. I always feel like every time I preach, he's not here. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank Pastor Daniel He called me yesterday on his vacation Time away from the family Called me yesterday to pray with me So I was really grateful for that And So again thank you Pastor Daniel for your friendship And your leadership to all of our elders um, Thank you for your guidance And your prayer and your diligence In leading this church And thank you to all of you There is a thanks that is owed to all of you For being diligent and faithful In supporting Emmanuel and giving in your time and your resources to help see a new chapter for the future of Emmanuel. So thank you guys so much for that. Forgive me for uh, my laptop here. I'm normally not a big fan of technology when I'm dealing or delivering a sermon because technology always seems to fail you like it did me this morning when I was trying to print my sermon. So I had no choice but to bring my laptop today so you'll see me referring here and there to my laptops and thumbing through the pages of my laptop today. So um, again, thank you guys all for coming. So hopefully, I won't keep you too long, but I hope that I'll bless you with a word today. And I'll start today by sharing with you a story. Um, There was this uh, middle 20th century um, writer, novelist, and philosopher. Um, His name is um, Nikos Kazantzakis, probably said his name terribly. But in his autobiography, Nikos tells a story about his meeting and his an encounter um, with a monk. Nico was fascinated um, with the lifestyle of self-denial that he observed in this monk, but he was fascinated, yet he was really turned off at the same time by this lifestyle of self-denial. And so, Nikos, in his encounter, um, and some of this I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time, there's one part that I'll quote because I think it's powerful. You know, Nikos approaches this um, elderly monk and he says, Father, your life is a hard one. You know, I too want to be saved. Is there another way? In other words, is there a more agreeable way of life than this life of self-denial that you have committed to? So the elderly monkey pauses for a moment and replies, one. Just one. What is it, you may ask, what is this one? What is this one way of life? And this this is the part that I'll quote because this is what I thought was really powerful. Uh, Nikos recalls the monk saying this, what is it? What is that one way? And he replies, ascent. To climb a series of steps from the full stomach of hunger, from the slacked throat of, uh, the slacked throat to thirst, from joy to suffering God sits at the summit of hunger, thirst, and suffering. The devil sits at the summit of a comfortable life. You choose. Nikos was kind of taken aback by his response. And he says, you know, elder, I'm still so young and life is so nice, the world is so nice. I have time to choose. And so the elder reaches over and he grabs his knee and he says to Nikos, wake up. My child, wake up before death wakes you up. You know, if you are like me, I'm like Nikos, I want comfort. Does anyone here, by raise of hands, maybe I'll get a bunch of you, does anyone here not want comfort? Wow, no hands. I'm so surprised by that. Everybody wants comfort. Everyone wants to be cozy and in their niche and feeling like everything is good and in control. But what did Jesus say? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells us pretty pointedly. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We're also told later in the scripture that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant to the point of obedience. He met death, even death on the cross, Philippians 2, 7 and 8. So beloved, I know we want comfort, but as the monk said, comfort is where we might meet the devil. Now I know that's challenging for some of us, but Jesus says that if we're going to follow his cross-shaped life, if we're going to live this example of self-denial that Jesus himself showed us, That Jesus himself said, pick up your cross and follow me. That Jesus himself sacrificed and denied himself and the splendor and the comfort in heaven. And what did he do? He came down to earth to live our human existence, to be thirsty and hungry and tired. This is what Jesus did for us. And so if we're to be living a life of this cross-shaped example that Jesus gave me and you... We have to deny ourselves so that we could be people that are pervaded by love and by joy and the peace of God himself. So how do we do that? We do that by practicing one, arguably one of the best spiritual disciplines that Jesus ever showed us. And that's the spiritual discipline of fasting. Some of y'all didn't like that word. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I really didn't like it myself. But we, you know, in, in our, in developing and cultivating, and, and this is going to be a two-part mini-series I'll, I'm going to obviously deliver today. Pastor Daniel will come and deliver part two of our message of fasting as we encourage you as a church to cultivate a rhythm and a life of fasting in your life. But if we're going to cultivate this uh, life and the rhythm of fasting, it is going to cultivate a a life of self-denial in our overall life, not just in fasting. So today, I want to read, if you'll open your Bibles with me today, we're going to read a couple big passages together. I'm going to reference a few passages as we go, but why don't you turn with me. As we examine our first set of scriptures today to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. While you're getting there, I'm going to grab my water. All right. So Matthew chapter 4. Now we're not going to, I know in your bulletins it had Matthew 4, 1 through 11. For time's sake, we're not going to read all of that. But this is the temptation narrative that Matthew um, wrote about in his gospel. I encourage you to read it. If you have never read it, or maybe you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to read through that narrative on your own. We're going to cover just a few passages today. Um, actually, really just um, verses uh, 1, I think one, two, three, and 4, perhaps. Let me grab a pew Bible. Is there another? Can you give me a pew Bible there? Yep. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Matthew chapter... Four. Let me get there real quick. All right. I'm just going to read the first few passages. Again, it's relative to our conversation on fasting. So in verse 1, I'm reading the NIV. It says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And here's where we're going to stop in verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to stop there. Again, I encourage you to read the rest of that narrative. There is so much that can be gleaned From that narrative And so where are we at here So Jesus' preparation in ministry Started in chapter 3 We see the baptism of Jesus And in chapter 4 Then the baptism was pleasant It was lovely The spirit ascended upon Jesus These were the pleasant things Of Jesus' ministry preparation And then in chapter 4 We see the unpleasant thing Has anybody ever thought of fasting Honestly As pleasant Probably not I'm going to argue today that there is great joy and beauty and and pleasantries in fasting, which we'll talk about today. But this is the pleasant and unpleasant experiences that Jesus had to go through in his ministry preparations. And beloved, God has the same pattern for your life. He has the same pattern of beauty and challenges, the, the hardship the goodness and the hardship now you see in these passages jesus was tempted in every possible way he was challenged and he was done so at his weakest notice in the text it says that after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting he was what naturally and i don't know about you but i you know my group my small group and i have been practicing fasting I did a fast from Thursday evening into Friday evening when we met and I almost devoured the whole kitchen. You can ask my small group. I was starving. And so, but I was weak and I was hungry and I can't imagine how the Lord must have felt after 40 days, how weak he was physically, but fasting also in a period that long must do something to your faculties. But Jesus was at his weakest, and here comes the devil in his greatest weakness, physically speaking, and t- Satan attempts to challenge him. And what he's doing here in the, in the scripture is he's asking Jesus, he says, I want you to rely on your own provision rather than the provision of God. How many of us understand that? How many of us get caught up in that cycle? Where we're depending on our own provisions rather than the power and the provision of God. And so here's Jesus now modeling for us the power that we can derive from the practice of fasting. Where Jesus responds to the devil with the power of God's word. Hear me now. At his weakest physically, at his most powerful spiritually. Spiritually. He says, no, a man does not live on bread alone by every word, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this was not a new tactic by the devil, beloved. It wasn't. Go back all the way to Genesis. You'll see the same practice deployed in the garden. And what do I mean? This is what 1 John, in John describes in 1 John as the lust of the uh the lust of the eyes he describes this as the lust of the flesh and the pride of life in 1 John let me explain to you what i mean so as we look at that scripture what is it i'm going to paraphrase in the garden narrative what happens in that narrative god says that there's a fruit you can't touch you can't have it okay and so what happens the devil comes into the garden he says now you should try this This is pretty good, right? That's the lust of the flesh. And then Eve looks upon it and says, you know what? That does look good. That's the lust of the eye. And then what happens? We know that then there is the pride of life where the devil says, listen, if you eat of this, you'll become wise and you'll be in charge like God. And that was the pride of life. And so the tactics of the devil, we can see, beloved, here, have not changed. They haven't really, Garden of Eden, here's Jesus in the wilderness, hasn't changed. He's tempting you the same way every day. We're going to talk a little more about this as we continue today. So even at his weakest moment, we find Jesus the most powerful. Why? Because there was a time of fasting that preceded his ministry or the power of his ministry. He suffered entirely, but he surrendered entirely to the will and to the word of God. I want you all to hear that. In his fasting, he, su- he submitted entirely. Jesus, you hear him say over and over again, not my will, but the will of the Father. You hear this over and over again. And so I want to pause for a minute before we continue, because I think if we continue any further without, without I think, uh, establishing some kind of foundation or a baseline, we may get lost. Let's, let's define for a moment what is fasting. Because there might be a really broad spectrum in the room of what fasting might be. And so I want to give you a pretty clear biblical perspective of what fasting is. But before we say what it is, let's talk about what it is not. Fasting is not abstinence. Let's say that again. Fasting is not abstinence. You know, as a pastor, I hear all the time, hey, pastor, you know, I'm going to be fasting today. I'm not going to be on social media. Or I'm fasting today. I'm not going shopping. Beloved, that's abstinence. That's to abstain from something. Now, when I think that there is very rich history in the church of practicing abstinence, abstinence is not fasting. To deny yourself a thing or an activity is not fasting. What fasting is also not, it it is not a restricted diet, i.e., I might hurt somebody's feelings right now, the Daniel fast. Okay, the Daniel fast is not a fast. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Daniel, you will never, ever, ever, ever read the word fasting in Daniel. In case you guys didn't know, the the Daniel fast or diet is a marketing scheme. It, It was just a marketing gimmick to get Christians to buy into this dietary plan. That's all it was. Okay? They're just eating vegetables. And again, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that, guys. I'm really not. It's just not fasting. If you want to talk about what fasting really is, fasting, simply put, I know as Christians, we just like to overly complicate things. Fasting is just not eating food full stop. You're not eating food for whatever period of time. Now I know there's, now some people, do you drink water? Do you not? A normal fast, you can drink water. There are scriptural examples of fasting where they're not drinking, eating food or drinking water. But the norm of fasting is just abstaining from food. Now there's a lot of other questions that we can ask about fasting, which we're not going to get into today. Like, how long do I fast, or when do I fast, or do I fast in community, or do I fast alone? These are all really good and legitimate questions that beloved, I think, should be examined. We're not gonna do that today. If you're interested in those type of questions and those topics, I encourage you to contact me so you can learn how to get plugged in to one of our small groups so you can learn more about that and many other topics. So, and, and we're going to be doing a lot of these things in the fall, but if you're interested in learning more and probing these types of questions in safe biblical community, let us know, we're happy to connect with you. But for now, I just want to tackle one question with you for the rest of the sermon, and for the remainder of our time together, and that is, why do we fast? such an important question and you have to be able to answer that question if your fasting is going to be truly effective why do we fast now you will see today just google fasting just google the word i think it's important to know guys fasting is not a uniquely christian thing anybody thinks that christians got a monopoly on fasting you're you're deceiving yourselves okay because fasting is not a uniquely christian thing You know, different religious worldviews and in even indigenous tribes around the world fast. So it's not a uniquely Christian thing. I mean, you know, Hindus and Muslims, I mean, you name it, the whole gambit of them fast in some way, shape, or form— But our fasting is very different. And I'll explain to you why our fasting is different. Now you may hear a lot of health experts and gurus out there, health gurus, talk a lot about the physical benefits of fasting. Has anybody actually, maybe not for spiritual reasons, but anybody actually fasted? Or does anybody here do intermittent fasting? No, maybe a couple of you, okay. There are clearly really great health benefits to fasting. Um, And I mean, listen, the list really can go on and on from um, detoxing your body to improving metabolism to reducing your blood pressure, um, helping increase your insulin levels and reducing inflammation and on and on and on and on and on. There are amazing health benefits to fasting. And we can't argue with those physical benefits because those physical benefits bring healing to our body. But as followers of Jesus, we engage in fasting as a spiritual discipline. And here's the ultimate aim. If you don't remember anything today, remember this. Here's the ultimate aim of fasting. I love it how Pope Benedict put this. Pope Benedict said that the aim of fasting is to heal us from all that prevents us from conformity to the will of God. We were talking about fasting heals us physically. Well, Pope Benedict was alluding to the fact that fasting heals our souls. It brings healing and therapy to our souls. Put another way, fasting helps us to grow in holiness. Now, I know holiness is a really loaded word for some of you. And by holiness, especially all my, my, my Bible students and junior theologians in the room, You'll know fast, uh, holiness is referring to setting apart and being consecrated and all that, and, and that's absolutely correct. But I wanna, I wanna propose to you kind of a, not a different way, but a deeper way to think about holiness, but holiness as it relates to the wholeness of the person. Let me explain to you what I mean. You see, health is to the body what holiness is to the soul. Fasting and it, that brings health to your body purges your body of what medical experts call zombie cells. Anybody ever heard that term, zombie cells? Zombie, in case you never heard that term, zombie cells, and all of us have them, um, basically when you're, it's basically medical, let me try to break it simply, it's basically cellular waste. Right? These are those dead cells that are still lingering in your, your body, and when we're not in a regular rhythm of fasting, what happens is that cellular waste builds up, and scientists have proven that it is a cause of many diseases, like cancer in particular. And so fasting helps us to rid and purge ourselves of those zombie cells in the same way that fasting helps our soul to purge the whole person from these self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. So let's review a few other scriptures together today. Romans, you don't have to turn here. There's going to be a, a point where I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles again, but I want to read to you Romans 12 1. Paul writes this In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He goes on in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to write, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? There's an interesting Greek word that Paul uses and deploys in both of those texts. When he says bodies and body, same Greek word, it's the word soma. It's where we get our word today, somatic. Okay? So what is Paul telling us by this word soma? Paul says that your bodies or the whole, soma means the whole of the person. He's not just talking about your physical bodies. He is talking about the whole of you, which includes your body and your spirit. There's this, you know, Daniel and I were chatting about this, and there's this theology of the body. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but, you know, in in seminary and theological circles, there's there's this idea of theology of the body. And, you know, there are some who believe that the body and the soul are, are separate and independent entities, but that's not what... Paul vets out in Scripture. So well, Paul uses this word soma. He says that our bodies, soma, is the whole of who we are, mind, body, and spirit. And so Paul says in those texts, which I'll go back to again, 12.1, he says, offer your entire soma your entire mind, body, and soul as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Again, 1 Corinthians, I'm gonna replace body with soma. 1 Corinthians 6 19, he says, Do you not know that your soma, your whole person, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so, as we look at this, let's now open our passage as we now have that context to Romans 7. We're going to read uh, 15 to 24 together today. In Romans 7, we're going to look at 15 through 24. And we'll connect this, and I pray that some of you will really identify with what Paul is sharing, because Paul gets pretty real here in the text. Again, fasting, remember, fasting to grow in holiness. Paul says, I think I heard most of your pages stop turning, so I'll I'll go ahead and read this. Again, starting in verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Love this. What a wretched man I am. This was the great apostle to the Gentiles. Who will rescue me from my body? Same word, soma. Who will rescue me from my body that is subject to death? Okay, let's stop there. It just got real in the scripture. Anybody feel that way? Anybody ever felt that way? I know I do. I didn't see a lot of hands. If I can just be honest, I know I feel this way all the time. I I feel like I'm always fighting. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm in this losing battle against my body, against my flesh. And this self-defeating cycle that all of us get stuck in has to do with our body, that Paul calls, in the text, he calls the body of death. But wait, Paul just referred to the body, the Soma, as the temple of God. So which one is it? Is the body the body of death, or is it the temple of the living God? Which one is it? Because Paul, I'm a little lost here if we can be honest as we review this scripture? And the answer is both. Paul really pointedly points out the dichotomy of our person and the struggle that we all experience, every single one of us, you and me, but it's the part, there is a part of us, this spirit that is the home, this soma, that is the spirit of God where our spirit is in union with God. There is that part. That's what Paul calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's another part of us, guys, that newsflash, you guys have a really bad disease. It's a really, it's a fatal disease, and it's the disease of sin. And Paul says you have a body of death that is infected with the disease of sin, Later in Romans, Paul goes on to write in verse 8, chapter 13, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. Let me translate that. You can't use the flesh to defeat the flesh. Has anybody ever tried to stop sinning? by themselves. Anybody here? Anybody ever tried by themselves? How'd that work out for you? Did, no? Okay, I got some thumbs down. Didn't work at all. Okay. But Jesus calls his followers, catch this, Jesus calls his followers to take up your cross. Jesus tells us to put to death the flesh Paul calls it crucifying the flesh. He actually writes in Colossians to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, etc. And so if you think that you can stop the work of the flesh by the flesh, you are deceived. The flesh cannot stop the flesh. Now listen, when I say flesh stopping the flesh, what I'm really talking about is willpower. I'm not talking about will, you know, willpower, okay? Now, willpower might work on a plate of cookies. Not so much with me. If you come to my Bible study group, the willpower has no power over the cookies. But for some of you, willpower is good to fight your urge for a plate of cookies. That might work. But willpower over an addiction? Yeah, not so much willpower over my addiction to pornography. I'm not ashamed to say that. I've I've shared that openly because that's my past and I've been redeemed. I was addicted to pornography for a long time and I tried to stop by myself. I tried willpower to get away from those uh, uh, pornographic videos and magazines. I tried and I failed over and over again. Whatever your addiction is, it doesn't matter. You can fill in the blank, alcohol, drugs, whatever, whatever the addiction is. Maybe outbursts of anger from trauma from your childhood. But willpower doesn't stand a chance to any of those things. But I tell you what does. It's amazing what happens when you begin to fast and deny yourself. What you begin to train your mind, body, and spirit to do. So I want to give to you, as we, as we kind of start wrapping this up, we come to the tail, the back end of our sermon today, I want to give you four things that happen as we fast and how these four things help us to grow in holiness, right? Again, holiness meaning our whole person, mind, body, and soul, that we're growing into the image of God. All right, so number one, when we fast, we're weaning off the cycles of pleasure. And what do I mean by cycles of pleasure? The world tells us and our culture tells us to do whatever feels good when it feels good. Don't wait. Do it. Act on it. That's what the world tells us. That's what the culture tells us. YOLO, right? You know what they say? YOLO. You only live once. Feel good. But how many of you know that The things that feel good in the short-term sometimes don't feel so good in the long-term, right? And the things that don't feel good in the short-term are amazing in the long-term. I could tell you that from, uh, Rose and I are living that every morning, Monday through Friday, when I don't wanna go to the gym, okay? I don't. And it, it is terrible. I hate going to the gym, And it's bad for me in the short term, I think. It hurts. I'm waking up achy. I don't heal as quickly. My my muscles and joints hurt. And, you know, it's just not fun. But the long term benefits of me doing the thing that I don't want to do outweigh the unpleasantry of the short term. And that's just how things are. Many things that are no fun in the short term yield big dividends in the weeks and years that follow. So through fasting, we learn how to do the right thing even when it's hard. My alarm clock goes off at 5 in the morning and I want to hit snooze till 7. But we learn through discipline and exercising this self-denial, we learn to do the right things when it's hard. We learn how to be happy and content even when we don't get what we want. When we're fasting, we're denying ourselves food, and some of you have your favorite food items, and I'm sure you're probably having an affair with that food item on your spouse. I cheat on Rosa with chips and steaks all the time when I'm fasting, just be honest. But this is, this is what we, I'm fighting against that so that I can grow and be happy with not having the steak and the chips and the food and all of that, and I'm finding real joy in God. Because when I'm not having the thing that I want, there's a void that only God can fill. That only God can fill my hunger. That only God can fill my thirst. And so in our time of fasting, we are weaning off our pleasure cycles. Here's number two. Fasting helps to reveal what's in your heart. There's there's no fasting without prayer. It just doesn't happen. You're not, I mean, unless you're just fasting for physical benefits, right? If you're fasting for real spiritual benefit, there is no fasting without prayer. So what fasting will help you do, beloved, and it's going to reveal what's in your heart. Richard Foster, in his book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, he writes that fasting reveals the things that control us. fasting reveals the things that control us fasting teaches us so much more about ourselves for those of my uh, um, um, small group in the room and you can tell me or not raise your hand in your fasting how many of you had to really deal with some of your stuff amen okay so some of y'all that have been in my group that we've been practicing fasting you're forced to deal with With the stuff that's in the substrata of your heart. And what fasting does is it takes all of that mess, all of that ugliness that's in the substrata of your heart, and it brings it to the top. And only when that stuff comes to the top can you give it to God. And so you bring that stuff to, your, to the top and say, God, I'm not holding it down. I'm not suppressing it, Lord. I'm not trying to hide it and cover it over with all of this prettiness and makeup. No, Lord, through my fasting and my self-denial, I'm bringing it to the top so that you can have it. It teaches us also about our unhealthy relationship with food. I want you to think about it. You, most of us had breakfast this morning, Right? I bet you, right now, all of you are thinking about what you're having for lunch. Right now. I bet you. Where are we going for lunch? Honey, are you making a sandwich for me when I get home? I'm hungry. You're thinking about it right now. Our every thought is our next meal. In Western culture, we have a really unhealthy relationship with food. As soon as you're done that meal, you'll be thinking about the next one, I promise. You'll either be shopping for it, preparing for it, you'll be thinking about it something. Your life revolves around food. We have a really unhealthy relationship with food. And so it's very humbling that you know, fasting can expose all of these things and we can leave the stuff before God. And by exposing all that ugliness, what happens is that we have a chance to surrender it and in doing so be set free. How many of you just want to be set free today? Anybody? Amen. Some of y'all want to be set free today. Some of y'all got some stuff inside y'all don't want to talk about. You don't want your brothers and sisters to see. There's some stuff you need to unpack And the stuff that you need to unpack is weighing you down and keeping you in bondage. And if you want to be set free, start fasting. All right. Here's number three. Fasting helps you to reorder the priorities of your life. Like I just said to you, fasting is an ever, never-ending cycle, morning, noon, night. Uh, Listen, one of the the favorite things—okay, let me stop. I don't like fasting. Can I be honest? Can I say that, church? Is that okay? Pastor don't like fasting. I like food too much. I do. That's evident by all the weight that I've put on in the last couple years. All right? I, like, I like food. But, but it was a priority in my life. And I, I want fasting to help reorder the priorities. Now, my, my small group... God bless them. They prayed for me. They helped work. They encouraged me during my, some of our fasting. You know, they called me up, say, Pastor, how you doing? You doing okay? Because I was open. I, was str- I struggled with fasting a bit. But it helped me to reorder things in my life. The things that I desired to change, it helped me to change. And I found myself wanting less of the material things in the world and wanting more of the holiness of God in my life. My desire of lust, Hold on. <sighs> guys, just like Jesus, right? Jesus went into the wilderness. He, was, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And what happened? He was tempted. I want to tell you guys, in case no one's ever been honest enough to tell you, when you fast, the attack will come on. And it will come on strong. So I'm in the midst of my fast. I'm 12, 16 hours into my fast. And again, because of the thorn in my side, that is lust. And my addiction to pornography, I get this, this, just this immense sexual desire that I felt like I was being attacked. If I can just be honest, can we be transparent here, church? And so I had to pray through it. And I'm like, Lord, I know this is not from you. I know this is the devil. And so it helped me to let go of those things, to push through. And instead of desiring that lustful thing and having that sexual urge, no. And because of my brothers and sisters that were praying for me, I was able to push through. And what did I find it, it, through that craziness? What did I find? I found this immense desire to just be pure as white, and to be filled with God's love, and to be just closer to Him. When you don't succumb to the test, and listen, the test might be different for all of you. It might you fill in the blank, whatever it is, the devil's gonna come and test you. He tested God Himself. Are y'all hearing me? You're not exempt to the tests of the enemy. He tested God himself. So in your fasting, if you think for one second you won't be tested, think again. But it reorders all of our desires. And so God is at work deep in our person during our time of fasting. And it is by his power we can do what seems to be the impossible. That I'm not depending on my will. That in my fasting, I wasn't depending on will's willpower. No. I was depending on the power of the Spirit to get me through and fight the thing that I needed to overcome. And so leading into that, this is number four. It draws our power from God himself to overcome the sin. That's number four in case you guys are keeping track. Fasting helps us to draw on God's power to overcome sin. See, fasting is a discipline, like any good habit, that it has a way of increasing our willpower muscle. It has a way for, to help us grow in both self-control and discipline. Let me tell you the difference. Some people think self-control and discipline are the same thing. They're distinctly <laughs> different. See, self-control is the ability to say no to something is to not do something when you want to do it, and when you know it's bad for you long-term. But self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something, to do something when you don't want to do it, when you know it's good for you, like me going to the gym. But together, they make self-mastery possible. Disciplines like fasting are a way to bring your whole person under the mastery and the control of the Holy Spirit combined with your desire to do the right thing, which sometimes is weak. But again, willpower alone is not strong enough and cannot break the chains of the flesh. Amen? Amen. Amen. Fasting is ultimately about drawing energy from and power from the Holy Spirit from a relational connection. Guys, fasting is not an impersonal thing. Fasting can and should be done in community. We talked about that, or we talked about that question, should we do it alone or in community? But as we do this exercise, we're also communing individually, but together with, the God, with God, with the Spirit of God. So what happens? When we come to him, guys, what are we doing? We're giving him our weakness. We're saying to God, Lord, I'm literally killing myself. That's what fasting is, guys. You fast long enough, what happens? You die. Some of y'all are looking at me like you don't know what happens. You fast long enough, you die, okay? So what you're doing is you're literally saying, God, I'm going to die for you. I want to sacrifice myself. I want to sacrifice my desires because we are all nothing but a, a, a ball of desires. We're saying, God, I want to sacrifice all of my desires to you. I'm going to slowly, we're not actually killing ourselves and I'm not don't, 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 don't go tomorrow saying, Pastor Will said, I got to kill myself. No, I did not say that. No, but but fasting slowly tears our bodies down. And so what we're doing here is we're giving God our weakness. And what is God giving us in exchange? His strength. We're giving him our weakness. He's giving us his strength. So let's summarize this as we kind of close this up. So... We can't fight the flesh with the flesh, okay? So if we're going to fight the flesh in our time of fasting, we must do so by making our bodies our allies and not our enemies. Because right now, our bodies, remember, what did Paul say? Our soma. Y'all going to remember that word, I promise. Y'all always going to remember soma. Your soma, or the whole of your person, is right now your enemy until you surrender it to God. Until you give it to God as a sacrifice, until you say, no, God, I need more of you, less of me. I'm going to surrender my desires, my appetites, and this is how I turn my body from an enemy to an ally, the whole of my person. And that's why fasting is so hard, especially when you're just starting. Is anyone new to fasting? Would you be willing to admit that you're new to fasting? Are y'all just old saints in this room? Praise the Lord ain't nobody new to fasting here okay that's good but i i could say i'm i'm somewhat new to fasting again it's just not an activity that i and look uh, i'm almost done seminary on my master's seminary program and i was telling this to my group in my seminary program i, I have not heard a single course or teaching on fasting not once my my seminary courses are in biblical studies and pastoral counseling I've never I've never heard a course on fasting it's no surprise why most western churches don't really see the value in fasting and don't really do it much and so when you start fasting it's really hard it is why is it so hard because you're fighting against your flesh You're fighting against your natural inclinations and your natural desires, but let me tell you what i found now that I'm practicing it more, and I know Daniel and I have talked about Daniel's, uh, Pastor Daniel is now in this regular Wednesday and Friday rhythm of fasting. By the way, throughout all of church history, most of church history until recently, fasting was a regular thing for the church, and everyone did it on Wednesday and Friday. In case you guys didn't know that little church fun fact. It was Wednesday and Friday, and Pastor Daniel's building that into his rhythm. Um, I'm, I'm going to be doing it more on Wednesdays than Fridays. Uh, but I encourage you to build it into your life. And now, because it is a part of my regular rhythm, I find joy in it. Fasting is a time where I get to really surrender all the, my junk, all my stuff. And I just really get grounded for the week, in the middle of the week. Amen? But it's first, because you're picking a fight with your flesh. Okay? Okay? So I want to encourage you today that if you're new to fasting, which nobody raised their hand, so I got all just old saints in this room, but if you're new to fasting, I want to encourage you not to be discouraged and not feel like you're by yourself and you're alone and that that this thing is so hard because it's hard for all of us when we first start. But the ultimate aim of fasting is Jesus. I don't care what nobody tells you. The ultimate aim of fasting is Jesus. It is to remove all of the ugly of ourselves and replace it with the beauty of Christ. To be conformed, to be transformed into his likeness and his image in every way. It is a way that we surrender all of our sinful ways, our thoughts, our bitterness, our anger, and we say, Lord, I don't want it. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but I just want to be pure of heart. I want to be cleansed in my heart during my time of fasting. So to see God, and we're almost done here. We're just about to wrap up. You know, I'm going to invite uh, uh, Brother Ken Porter up to administer communion. And then after communion, uh, I'm going to um, ask uh, Amanda Stevenson's to come up, and uh, she's going to uh, lead us uh, in, our time of, in a brief word uh, during our time of prayer. But see, to see God, I, I, want you, I, want you, I want you to hear this. To see God is the true ache of our heart. I'm going to say that again. To see God is the true ache of our heart. It is to look upon the beauty and the glory of God himself. This is what your soul desires. This is why all of your hearts ache for heaven. It's not because we want to get into this beautiful place of clouds and harps. and No, your heart aches for heaven because your heart aches to see the face of God. But Jesus says that blessed are the pure of heart and they shall see God. So, holiness and fasting to grow in holiness is not a formula because God is a person and not an equation. He is compassionate, He is the very being of compassion. And like it or not, we are in a reciprocal relationship with God at every level of holiness. And we, it is our way to see God. It is our way to encounter God. So I'm going to leave you with this question and I'll invite the worship team to come up or I'll invite um, Brother Ken to come up. As you build fasting into the rhythm of your life, how badly do you want to see God? How deeply do you want to encounter His presence? How much do you want to remove the ugly of the substrata of your heart give it to God and surrender it to him so through your fasting you can too grow in holiness I'll leave you with that thank you very much